Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of the IA Cast. My name is Michael Doeys, and I'm here with a great group today. We have Aliyah Dudley. Hello, everyone. Jason Earls. Hi, everyone. And a new face, that, uh, a new voice, rather, that I hope will make a return to the show again, Miss Shelley Brisbane. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's about time to have another woman in here. I'm just saying. <laughs> Damn Skippy. Can you say that on your show? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad we have new faces this year and new new. Uh, content and new people to talk to us. So um, we have a great show lined up today, and uh, we always start with the news. And so CES was last week, and man, there was some neat stuff from that conference. So there was so much that was announced that we're not going to be able to talk to you about everything, but we thought we would come in and say what our favorite announcements were from CES. So uh, no toilets. No toilets. They, those are not allowed. No toilet humor either. <laughs> so, Shelly. Like everybody's looking at me. Yes, we yes, are, Jason. We, we totally are. <laughs> so, Shelly, what are some devices that you found that you liked? I was so going to do the toilet. No. Uh, so, as being a, as, as a, a new female face on the show, I thought I'd pick one that I, I was pretty sure that I might be the only one to pick. That was a criteria. So I saw this thing. Uh, this company called Soma makes smart bras. And uh, basically what you do is you put this bra on and it has an app and a Bluetooth and Bluetooth connectivity. And it measures you so that you get the absolute perfect measurement. And then you order the bra from these guys. And you can use the test bra to measure other people and then they can get their perfect fit. So it's this this app-enabled bra thing that... Uh, if you if if you are a lady out there listening, you know that sometimes fitting a bra is is not the easiest thing. So I thought it was cool. Wow, I actually had stunned silence. <laughs> I actually had seen it. I just I I I, I was I was you just ignored it because you're a dude. Was, no, I was thinking about well, everything that was announced dudes. at CES, anyway. and I was like, there's a. There's a there's a there's a smart bra thing that stuck out to me, and I couldn't remember what it was called, and you mentioned it. I wasn't going to talk about it, but please don't make that joke. What joke? Oh, he missed it. He missed it. I totally did. Really? The bra stuck out to you? Okay. Oh God, no. That was unintentional, completely, 100% unintentional. I'm just done. I'm going to um, go away and hide in a I'm corner. I was going to say, this is what you get for having me go first. So, thank you for now. But no, I promise that was that was that was completely unintentional. Oh my lord! <laughs> wow. <sighs> I think I just cried a little. <laughs> oh, wow. That's the hardest I think I've laughed on this show. Oh, my. And the best part was he didn't even realize he'd done it. No, I didn't. Oh, wow. Absolutely 100% did not realize. <laughs> well, we could... We could, I guess, uh, say that Shelly made an entrance. <laughs> she definitely did. See, uh, see, my thought was that I was going to be probably the last one to go and that everybody would have said, like, the things that were the big hits at CES and that that was what was going to be left to me. 
So since that was my pick anyway, I just thought I'd lead with it. And apparently, I was right to do so. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> Clearly. Wow. All right. There's a toilet. No. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and it's got speakers. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, oh, so okay. <laughs> with that being said, uh, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> what is your... I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> keyboard. The keyboard, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, there, okay, so <laughs> yes, there was a, um, oh gosh, there was a, <laughs> there was a keyboard <sighs> that was announced, um, it is made by Roland. It's called the Piano Go, uh, the the Go Piano. Sorry, and it is an A Lady enabled keyboard, um, and it will allow you to change different instruments, different different sounds, different uh, settings, without you having to lift your hands from the keys. Um, it will also allow you to play along with A Lady when you're when you're learning a song. She'll play half the keys and. You can play the other half of the keys. Uh, she follows along with you. Um, they are, they've announced that it's CES. It's going to be available late 2019. And uh, Roland has said that the, um, the, the, the Echo skill will eventually be compatible with multiple instruments. So that's going to be really interesting to, to see, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the first really accessible keyboards, I would say. Well, I mean, sort of. I know that the, um, what is that called? Uh, I should know this. The, not the Montage, what's the other one? The Genos, the Yamaha Genos does have some sort of speech functionality. I've heard it in action before, but I'm not entirely sure how to enable it. Whereas this, you can just, you know, presumably talk to it and have it, do stuff so i wonder if there's going to be voice feedback from her or if it's just going to change settings since it is a keyboard and you know if they add it to more of their higher end models at some point down the road if you're trying to perform with it oh that'd be interesting <laughs> somebody trying to get a leader to do something while they're performing and they're just it's just not hearing them and it just happens to be broadcast on stage oh boy that would be interesting. I mean, yes, it would. <laughs> yeah. So that's what brand of coffee you were on Amazon. <laughs> uh, but no, it's 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 really an interesting concept, and I'm really glad to see stuff like this. And I wonder what else we'll see in the future. Exactly. All right, Aliyah, what devices did you find? Well, <clears throat> you know. You you act like you might read my mind or something because I've got two that have really tied for for first place for me. One of them is the LG OLED rollable TV. Um, <clears throat> it kind of rolls up inside of itself and makes a piece of furniture when it's not in use, and I think that's just a really cool concept. But the other one that I think is is really neat, and I I wonder, and 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 hope that it will have some accessible functions is the matrix power watch 2 which is a watch that is powered exclusively by body heat and solar power but it's also a fitness band so it tracks heart rate and steps and um, has an always on display so 
I, I thought that was really neat because literally there's no charger. Um, so I, I would be really interested. And I think that there's some huge limitations with the current watches and bands out there and that at some point they do have to be off of your wrist and charging. So they can't give a true um, 24 hour coverage. And so I think tech like this that doesn't have to be charged in the traditional sense is really neat. And so I think, you know, as much as I say they, they kind of tie, I think the watch kind of wins. Yeah, I, th I think that watch sounds really, really cool because it's finally, you know, we've had kinetic watches and different things like that, that, you know, as you move, it charges and different things like that for standard non-smart watches. But to see something like that come for a smartwatch is really where I think tech needs to be going. I would love to see an Apple Watch one day that would do that. That would be so awesome. Yeah, that would be neat because um, I know, like, when I think of a watch, I think of, you know, a watch, and I'm, I'm still used to watches lasting for, like, you know, two years or something like that on those little watch batteries. And, you know, unfortunately... A lot of smartwatches don't get anywhere near a two-year <laughs> lifetime before you need to to um, charge them or or put a new battery in them. Well, a watch that has to be charged every day. I mean, that I, I'm surprised how few people talk about that with the Apple Watch. It's gotten a little better, but um, you know that is sort of a. I, I think for somebody who's used to having other watches, that's probably something where they go, "What? Wait, what? What? I mean, they get it because there's a lot of electronics in there and, and the like. But uh, yeah, some sort of watch that has a more automatic and thought-free charging process seems like a good idea. Well, yeah, because especially, you know, if these smartwatches are supposed to do things like sleep tracking and um, activities like that, then, you know, you definitely would want some other way to charge it because I don't know about you guys, but I don't like the idea of have having some sort of cable attached to my watch as it's trying to track my sleep so it's not dead in the morning and then I wake up and knock a bunch of stuff off of a nightstand or something because the cable <laughs> moves around. Yeah. So I also have two picks that kind of tie. I, I'm personally a gamer, so when I saw this article come past my Twitter, I was very excited. Not that I'm going to buy a new laptop, but just to see this kind of technology. There was two laptops announced that really look awesome. The Dell uh, the Dell Alienware uh, Area 51M laptop is a desktop replacement laptop. Seven, I think it's over 17 inches, and you can remove parts. So you can remove the video card and the processor, and not just laptop parts. Actual desktop class parts from this machine and put new ones in so you could keep it up to date, which is really neat. It looks huge, though, so keep that in mind. Uh, the other one is a laptop from Asus. It's called the Asus Republic of Gamers Mothership, which is just a neat name for a laptop. And basically, think of the Surface Book, which is a laptop where you could detach the screen and use it as a tablet with a kickstand uh, as the screen, but uh, or on the uh, actual device. But on this one, you could just detach the whole screen from the 17-inch laptop, and it's just a huge gaming machine, so it really looks neat. So, Yeah, I think the idea of a modular laptop is is uh, something that's really cool. I mean, 
I would imagine that, you know, upgrading the CPU or upgrading the video card, you know, piece by piece down the road might be cheaper than just going out and buying a whole new computer each time you need to upgrade stuff, so. Well, and there's always the battery, which you'd have to upgrade, but. Yeah. It's still a neat concept. But more, yeah, but more than that, I mean, you have the satisfaction of saying, I'm the one who put this new thing inside this computer, even though it's designed to be modular. Right. Still. It's customized to what you need, which is very yeah. nice. All right. Well, of course, you could always find more about CES on many other websites. We'll, we'll probably talk about a little bit of this on our site, but uh, there's so much news coverage that, you know, we can't talk about it all because, I mean, just as if you went to CES, you couldn't see it all. One year, I would love to go to that. Have you been to CES, Shelley? I have not. I have been assiduously avoiding it for as long as I've been covering technology <laughs> because it's just, it's too, it's too big. I think if I went there with a highly specific task, that would be okay because they do organize it according to function. Like there's a car section and a TVs and uh, like if I if I could dive in and just do my bit and leave, uh, I, I'm jaded by having been to so many other trade shows. I guess right. And it's Las Vegas, and that's not. It's it's a little it's a little um little overwhelming for me to be really honest. Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, that convention center is huge. Yes. All right. Well, that's basically it for our CES coverage, and uh, the shortest CES coverage you'll probably get on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, all right. I don't know. So you could you could just be like CES happened. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. But uh, there's a lot more interesting stuff. And that's just, you know, a few things we found that was interesting. I, I think we could all agree that Shelley's was the most uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Happy to help. <laughs> I mean, look, see, I... I have already done one CES roundup this week for the radio show where I work. I did another story this week where I shamelessly rolled CES into my lead. So I feel as if I have covered CES and talked about the, no offense, the rollable TV and talked about the the toilet and the smart bathroom and all that stuff. So I felt like, you know, let's do something that hasn't been done or that I haven't read about before in this week. So I went scouring and that's what I found. So. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. So let's talk about something that iAccessibility offers that has proven to be a pretty good little uh, thing for us. We started offering web hosting for people that wanted it, and we have several customers that now use iAccessibility as their web hosting. And as little as $5 a month, you can host your website, your domains, and your email with us and get unlimited storage and email and unlimited bandwidth. So we offer hosting for websites. You can do pretty much anything you need, as long as it's legal, uh, on our servers and get good web hosting with very prompt technical support. Uh, all of our customers have liked what we've offered so far, so we hope that it is something that you're looking into. $5 a month will give you the best hosting package you will get online. So just head to iAccessibility.net and contact us for more details. All right, so now on to our main topic of the show today. 
we reached out to Shelley Brisbane, who uh, just finished publishing a new book or something, right, Shelley? Yeah, I uh, just finished the updated edition of my book, iOS Access for All, Your Comprehensive Guide to Accessibility for iPad, iPhone, and iPod Touch. Excellent. And how many editions have you published of the book? So this is the sixth one, which always sort of blows me away. I did the first one for iOS 7, and as Apple keeps doing new OS editions one a year, I have followed them along and, and done a new book. So yes, there is an iOS 13 book. I need to make a folder for it, just so I'll be ready whenever Apple makes us an iOS 13. But for now, <laughs> iOS 12 is the latest one. So what what was it that got you motivated or interested in writing a book about iOS accessibility? So I've been a tech journalist and writer for a really, really long time in the mainstream world. I was a editor at Mac User. I wrote for most of the Macintosh magazines back in the day, and I've written on the web and done a lot of reviews and the like. And at some point, I realized that whatever I had done for my own accessibility needs, I'm a low vision person, uh, had always sort of been a hack. And I also, and I realized I had been able to do that with, with Mac OS for years. But when the iPhone came out, I really felt like I was left out because for the first time there was an Apple product that I just literally could not use. This is in 2007 when the iPhone came out. And I just, and I remember sitting at, I was at the announcement. This is, this is going to be like, people always, you know, want to say, well, I was, I was here when this happened, but I actually was at the announcement when they first, when Steve Jobs first introed the iPhone. And I remember he pinched a zoom into the uh, New York Times, and I was like, oh, that's the accessibility feature. And literally it was. That was about all you could get. And then two years later, voiceover came to the iPhone. And I was excited, and I got one immediately, being an Apple person. But what I realized was that even though those features were out there for everyone to see and to use, and that people were starting to write on the web about those features, and there were even a couple of books out there, nobody had rounded them up, kept that information up to date, and also nobody was covering anything other than voiceover. So there were lots of guides to voiceover gestures. There were great sites like AppleViz that talked about apps, but there was nobody who, first of all, had the mandate of covering all the accessibility features, and second of all, had the mandate of keeping the information current, up to date. And as somebody who had written a whole bunch of mainstream tech books, as well as been a writer for publications, I felt like, well, that that could be me. That could be my next book. And I ended up doing this as the first self-published book I had ever written, which was like a whole experience in and of itself. I went to CSUN the year that I had this idea and basically asked around about pe to people and said, hey, is this something that you think folks would be interested in reading? And all the response I got was really positive. And so that was my way of both getting more involved in writing about accessibility, which I had almost never done, and my way, frankly, of, you know, getting a new project and moving into iOS, which is kind of where everybody who was writing about and talking about the Mac was moving. And, and so the rest is history, I guess. Excellent. What has been, you know, have you noticed that there are, do you, do you get requests for pe from people to write about specific things, or is it just what you feel is important to write? I have gotten, I get feedback about certain things I've written about, but I've not had anybody say, you know, it'd be cool as if you covered this or that. I, I, I get 
I learn from the feedback I get about what's already been done, and then I sort of try and think about it holistically. When you write six versions of a book, there's this temptation to take what you've written, paper it over. It's it's like painting a house, but without taking the old paint off. You know, there's this temptation to just sort of paint new stuff on top. But at some point, it gets all flaky and yucky under there. And so I try, if not every version, every couple of versions, to rethink what I've written or the way I've written it. I try to think, am I actually telling people things in the most useful way I can? Am I, and, and also importantly, am I putting the stuff in the places in the book where I expect people will be able to find them because it's a really big book and I don't expect everybody to read every word. So if I cram all the good stuff into the voiceover chapter and then I sell it to somebody who's not a voiceover user, they're not going to find it. So I try real hard to just think holistically about is there a way that I can structure the book so that people can easily find what they're looking for? But no, I haven't I haven't yet had anybody say, this is something that you don't cover at all, you better cover it. And I kind of expected that. I especially after the first edition when I was just like going through the accessibility settings and trying to cover everything that was in there, what I expected to happen was that people would say, Yeah, you've covered the settings, but you haven't really covered how it's used day to day. And I've asked people those kinds of questions and I've said, what am I not getting as far as nuances? What am I not saying as far as how you actually work with this technology? And I've gotten small bore feedback and I've responded to that, but I've not had anybody say, wow, you, there's a gaping hole. And that makes me, that makes me feel pretty good. So in, in your time of writing books, is there any technique that you use, like any software that you personally use, like, you know, pages or Word or? So, I mean, this was a big thing. I did a whole podcast series about it, and I actually made a, a talk for a conference about it. But when I initially did the book, I knew I wanted to do it in the EPUB format because that's a completely accessible format. It's also the format that Apple uses in at the Apple iBook store, now the Apple bookstore. And so that was where I started. And I did all the reading I could about how, And I also had this idea, maybe I would make a Daisy book. And Daisy is based on EPUB. I never did that. But that was the place I started. And I knew that you could export into EPUB from pages. So I was like, okay, ready, steady, go. We, we, have, we have a Mac solution primed and ready to go. Well, it didn't quite work out because the EPUB that I got out of Pages was not what I wanted it to be, and there were lots of problems with Pages. You had to, you still have to use a Pages template as a starting point, and there were and continue to be, but not as many. There were and continue to be problems with just getting things the way I wanted to, so wanted them to be. So what I ended up doing, EPUB is basically it uses XHTML files to build an EPUB document. So in my case, each of my chapters is an XHTML file. It's coded like HTML. It's got a CSS document that goes along with it. This is like super geeky for most people who read the book don't ever need to worry about this. But as far as making the book, what I eventually had to do was break it down to its elements and spend a lot of time in CSS and a lot of time in XHTML because I wanted to make the book look and behave exactly like I wanted it to, both from a just a readability point of view and also an accessibility point of view. And I also knew I was going to have to turn it into a PDF. And it was a lot easier to go from a really well-behaved bunch of XHTML pages to ultimately an accessible PDF than some other kind of document. And there are lots of ways to create an EPUB, including going from InDesign. And there, there are specific EPUB tools that are better now than they used to be. But I've found that what I started with as 
as clunky as it might seem to an outsider, it's it's kind of like a programmer has ultimate control. My, my husband is a programmer, and he still uses the command line rather than a graphical user interface because he can control everything he's doing. It's weird to watch him, instead of using like Windows Explorer or, or a Linux GUI to like sit there with a command line. Anyway, sorry, that's a tangent. But <laughs> that's kind of the way I feel about the book. Like I can control everything about it. And this is why, like I say, I have made podcasts and conference talks about the the incredible uh, challenge, shall I say, of uh, making an EPUB by hand. That's really interesting. I would love to put a link to, if you if the podcast is still up, I'd love to put a link in our show notes to that because I think it's very interesting, you know, technical discussion to hear how that was done. Yeah, what I did was one year, um, if you've heard of the the National Novel Writing Month, there is a, a thing like it for podcasting, and NADPOD POMO is what they call it. And so in November, people who participate in this would, were supposed to podcast every day. And so one year I decided, all right, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to tell the story of how I made the book. Because people have asked me this question in varying levels of detail for years. And so there's like, I think, I don't think I got the 30 days. I think I did it in 27 or 28 podcasts and I can give you a link to that. But what I did was I basically talk all about how I came. It's everything. It's a discussion that we just had about how the book came to be, but then it goes into the deep technical weeds and about all the misery and suffering creating a PDF caused for me and how I won't stop talking about it because it was a terrible experience. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, there's a lot of stuff in there, but it also answers a lot of questions that people have about like how, how, I, cho- how I chose to make it and why. And it also forced, you know, nobody ever comes back to me and says, well, you know, there's a lot easier way you could have done it. Because once I explain my goals for the book, they always end up saying, oh, I can't, I see why you did that. Okay, it sounds miserable, but I see why you did it. And it's not miserable because I know how to do it now. It's harder to explain now than it, than it is to do. But back in the day when I started it, it was much the reverse. And I didn't know how to do what I was going to do. I had to make it up as I went along. I've so, always been interested in, oh, sorry, go, Michael. No, go ahead, Jason. I've always been interested in um, iBooks author. I've been reading a bit about it now, and I, I I've never really known anybody uh, to actually using um, something like Voiceover or some other accessibility tools who uses it. Because Michael, I know you've you've at least looked at iBooks author, haven't you? I have, but haven't they discontinued that software? For the use of pages? Um, I don't know if they literally discontinued it or not, but that was the idea with the pages update about a year ago that you would be able to do EPUBs in pages instead of iBooks Author. But the thing is, the tools aren't really there. Like, there's, I can't tell what they've done to pages to make it a better EPUB creator because it, what you get, I think your output might be better. But the thing iBooks Author did was it had a book metaphor. And I'll tell you in a minute why I didn't use it. Uh, But it had a book metaphor such that you were always thinking about, well, this is a chapter. These are the images that go with a chapter. You know, Apple uh, media tools have, like, here's a media library. You can go and grab your screenshots or your videos if you have them or your audio. And iBooks Author was great for somebody who wanted to make a book and put it on the iBook store but had never done that before. It was not a terrible tool in terms of working with it. It was a terrible tool in terms of output. But the reason I didn't use it is because 
in order to use iBooks Author, you had to sell that book exclusively on the iBook store. I mean, you could take your copy, your material, and you could put it into another format, but you couldn't save an EPUB from iBooks Author and sell it on your own website, which oh, is what wow. I needed to do. I didn't oh. know that. I, I didn't either. And I don't know about its accessibility because the, the, the blind and visually impaired writers that I know use other tools, a lot of them like Scrivener and Ulysses, both of which are accessible. But Scrivener, and nobody's been able to help me figure this out. I, I actually wanted screenshots in my book because especially for low vision folks, and they're kind of blown up and they have descriptions of what you're seeing on the screenshots. And, and you can include images in some of those manuscript creation apps but you don't have the flexibility that I needed as far as like the screenshot has to be in the same place every time. It has to be the same size. It has to, you know, I'm writing a textbook sort of, and I had requirements about my formatting that those books that are designed to write novels were not particularly friendly to. They were friendly to all sorts of other things like researching and gathering links and collaborative editing and all that kind of stuff. But what I mainly wanted to do was place images and have a really dense table of contents. And I had also gone so far down the route that I had gone that going back to put everything in Scrivener Ulysses didn't make any sense. But yeah, you're right. I've, I've never known anybody. I've known a couple of people, I think, who've worked in iBooks Author. I can't speak specifically to the accessibility, except that I know it's been done, if that makes any sense. So, so my guess is that it's probably yeah. mainly accessible, but that there might be some you know issues. That's still really interesting. I mean, there are all these tools out there, but you never think, you know, what are their best uses? You know, I've, I have Scrivener right. for iOS. I've never purchased the Mac app because it's expensive, and I don't know if I'd use it. So, and I think that's the other thing there, too, is what is going to be the best tool for what you need, and how do you determine that? So I think that uh, this discussion has been very enlightening. Uh, you know, as somebody, I'm, I'm working on a few books myself, so that's, that's very interesting to hear how that works. So I have friends who swear by Scrivener, but they're novel writers. Um, and, you know, that's a really different function. And, they're, and, and, and frankly, like Scrivener, if you want to, will let you do cool things with topography and drop shadows and stuff like that. It's not a design tool by any means. It's also great, like I say, if you want to keep track of research bits. But I, I, I just never made friends with it. I think that's the other thing, too. I think a lot of times you get into an app and you look at it and you go, this interface makes sense to me. And sometimes you get into an app and you go, this interface does not make sense to me and I could learn it, but it's kind of like, well, I have a perfectly good house, but why would I move over into this other house that I'm not familiar with and the lights are off and I don't have any mobility tools so I can't find my way around. You know, it's just like yeah, torturing exactly that metaphor really hard. But. <laughs> it's actually a really good metaphor though. I never thought of explaining it that way, but that, that makes perfect sense. So do you have any uh, struggles that you, you know, had to face or challenges while writing the book that, uh, you know, you had to overcome? I guess the main thing is that because I was self-publishing, um, when you're do I've done a lot of books for publishers, and there's usually a set of deadlines that are there not only to get your book out in a timely fashion, and it usually is, especially with software, there is a timeliness issue. And there's also a, hey, we have a catalog, we have a marketing plan, and you get paid according to those deadlines, and you also have people calling you up going, so where's that chapter? But when you're self-publishing, you have to be entirely, not only self-motivated, which wasn't a problem, but you have to be disciplined enough to 
say, well, you know, what is a reasonable deadline going to be? What is, when do I really need to have this out? And I had to figure all that stuff out for myself. And I have on several occasions been a little later than I would like to getting the book out because I decided it was more important to be complete and accurate than to be early. I have the books edited. I don't just, you know, write these things up and throw them against the wall. And there are some people who believe that coming out on the date of public, of the date that iOS comes out is important. Uh, I don't believe that. And I didn't believe it when I was writing iOS, uh, Mac OS 10 for dummies, and they wanted it to come out the day that Mac OS 10 came out, and it was insane. <laughs> um, so just like keeping some sort of sense of discipline of, you know, make sure this book comes out in a timely fashion. And then when it does come out, you're not done because then you have to go and run around and say, hey, I've written a book. You guys come buy it now. And there are all these various steps I have to t take in order to, you know, uh, execute that plan and get the websites updated. And uh, and so, you know, those I've I've sort of mastered those. But in the beginning, they were pretty big challenges because I'd never written a book like that before. So how did you settle on a price for the book? Huh. That's um. Well, it, I will say that it went up this time. I've been selling the book for 20 bucks. I sort of looked around and I figured, well, first of all, at the time I did the first book, and this was a, a trouble to me, um, it was Kindle books had been out for a while, but there was still this sort of thing about people were selling books on, on Amazon for like a couple bucks, which is horrifying to me. It's like, I can't, I'm writing a book about an accessibility topic. But I'm not going to be able to, for $2, I'm not going to make it up in volume. There's no way. And I said, I have to sell my, you know, and, and you know, list prices for paper books that you go and buy are, you know, $10, $15, $20. For tech books, they might have to be $50. I'm not writing a book about programming. I can't charge $50. So $20 was just kind of a nice place in the middle that I thought, but I was scared because when I did it, I was like, I don't know. In this day and age, in 2012, when I started thinking about the book, 2014 was when the book first came out. Am I going to be able to sell a book for $20 and are people going to buy it or are they going to expect to get it for $2 on Amazon? And one of the reasons I don't sell it on Amazon is because of all the weird ways that they take money from you um, and how I would never have made back what I needed to make. But I, And I also knew that if I was going to sell it on Apple, I was going to have to pay them 30% for every book. So 20 bucks was about as little as I thought I could do it and you know still make back some money. And then because the book has gotten so much bigger and there's so much more material and it takes takes so much time to do it, I made the very difficult decision of increasing the price this time. And I feel like I probably should have done that like a version or two ago because, to be honest, there, there definitely are changes in this book. There's a brand new chapter. There's a lot of great new information. But I feel like the book last time changed even more. And so people who bought the iOS 11 book kind of got a deal. And so I felt like it was, you know, sadly uh, for me, time to increase that price so that I could get back a little of the, the hard work that I put into it. And like I say, I have somebody edit it. I have, you know, somebody design the cover for me. I have to pay for hosting and all the, all the stuff that goes along with, you know, getting the book out there to people. So I'm not, I'm not getting rich off of it, but I also was very sensitive and cognizant of the need to charge a price that was reasonable for humans to afford who might be on limited incomes, especially after you've bought an iPhone. You don't have any money left after you buy an iPhone. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they aren't exactly cheap, especially nowadays. Indeed. 
So I have one more question, then I'll turn it over to these two who, you know, I'm sure Aliyah and you, Jason, have some questions. But one question I have is, do you, do you, when you write this book, do you, for every edition, do you start from page one or do you keep some of the language, some of the content that's there and just expand upon it? I expand on what's there. It's like I was saying before, I, I feel like when I work on the outline, it's important to figure out whether the thing that was in chapter three the last time really belongs there or whether it makes sense to move it. And so I'll think about it in those terms, like how am I going to redo the sections? But there's so much of iOS that does remain the same. I mean, I read every word, I evaluate every word based on what the new operating system is, but it is very familiar from edition to edition. And so I start out by working with an outline that's based on what the new features are, and I try to plug in those features where I think they ought to go. But for example, I made this the new chapter I was talking about. I had never really done a chapter about system-level features and how to kind of manage your device and how to do folders and how to do... Now we have screen management and distraction management, screen time and distraction management. And I had done a lot of that in the voiceover chapter because obviously the methods for moving folders around and stuff are specific to voiceover. But I realized that there was so much of that information that was captured in that chapter that if you weren't a voiceover user, you weren't going to find. So this time around, not for any particular reason that had to do with iOS 12, but because it was just time to do it, I took a lot of that information and the iPad gestures is another thing that was, is, and, and iPhone 10 gestures that are more and more of a thing for everybody, whether you're a voiceover user or not. I pulled that stuff out of this enormous voiceover chapter that I have, and I put it into another chapter that covers all those features from all the accessibility points of view. So in other words, I tell you how to do it with and without voiceover in the same chapter, which, believe me, is really hard to write. Because uh, <laughs> you're like, yes, follow but... these steps. If you have voiceover, do this. If you don't have voiceover, do that. But that's the kind of changes, that's the way I think about changes to the book. I don't think, oh, well, I need to rewrite the whole thing from scratch. Because that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if something doesn't work, if either I get feedback that it doesn't work, or if I don't, usually what happens is I feel like content gets stale. Maybe I described something in a certain way that's been a feed. Well, I'll give you an example. Like when I first did this book, the iOS 7 uh, version of the book, a lot of the changes they made in iOS 7 were really miserable for low vision users. And if you read that edition of the book, you could tell. Like I was mad. And even the little changes that they made in terms of increased contrast and stuff like that, they were terrible. And I basically said, I'm going to help you do as much as you can, but these features are terrible. And Johnny Ive, I'm really mad at you right now. <laughs> and a lot of that sort of grumpiness about low vision features carried forward. And I didn't Continue, you know, I didn't like editorialize. I had a my in the first book, it, the, there was a section called the woes of iOS seven, which was sort of a uh, it was a in uh, and that was specific to low vision stuff. And I, I realized, like two versions later, I was still writing with a tone that wasn't really appropriate anymore because they had addressed a lot of those issues. They still hadn't addressed all of them, and they still haven't done everything I'd like to see in terms of low vision features. But gradually, I sort of took some of the bitterness out and found ways to tell people how they could use those features more effectively, whether they work the way I wanted them to or not. And so it took me a couple of versions to kind of get all of that out and look at it with a less jaundiced eye. Well, it's really exciting that you incorporate in your book 
how to you know accomplish something both using voiceover and of course without using voiceover because I I I wrote an article on our website a while back talking about voiceover actions and I I wasn't necessarily trying to decide uh, to to decide somebody's opinion one way or the other but I was I was basically kind of asking a question which was are voiceover actions a help or are they a hindrance because you know there were certain there are certain applications in iOS um, not necessarily Apple applications but there are applications in iOS where you can only accomplish certain tasks using voiceover actions and so if you were trying to help somebody sighted who of course didn't need to use voiceover you're not going to tell them to turn voiceover on, set their rotor to actions, and then flick up or down until they find the action you want. You're going to give them the, the, you know, normal gestures that a sighted person would use if they were using the app. And that's kind of what my article was trying to touch on. Um, so I, I've always found it fascinating how to accomplish, you know, different different tasks in iOS without voiceover. Even though I'm a voiceover user, and the descriptions of icons and and, and things like that. So. Well, as a low vision user, it's interesting too because I spend a lot of time in and a lot of time out of voiceover. Probably more in, in just the way I use my phone, probably more time out, but I'm in there every single day. It's not like I just put it on to write the book. And so I have my own sort of conception of what tasks personally I would prefer to use or, or find it easier to use voiceover and other tasks where it gets in the way. And as a low vision user, um, like I say, I started out kind of iterating all of those features that were in there. And I did one piece of feedback that was really important because people asked me, well, if you have Zoom on, does that uh, prevent you from using voiceover? And I explained that it didn't. And I explained how the gestures, there were like two gestures that were affected and how they were different. But I did expand on a little section and write about how to use low vision tools and voiceover at the same time. And I felt like, like if anything, I'd like to do more about that because I feel like there are lots of tips and tricks for people like me and people not like me, but people who are jumping in and out of it and people who are trying to find the best combination of tools uh, and, you know, basically hack their iPhone experience. And I think a lot of low vision people who are part-time voiceover users or who use speech, speech screen or speak selection or stuff like that find themselves in that position because the sort of stock set of features doesn't necessarily work in a way that's perfect for them. And so they have their own personal like little workarounds. All right. So do you guys have any other questions before we go ahead and uh, wrap up today? Everybody's taken my questions. So I've been remarkably quiet. I know that's a miracle for everybody, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's. Well, the only other. Everybody's taken my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like that's like the 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 interesting thing about about shows like this, right? Where you have multiple people who have questions, and you you have you think what is a really good question, somebody's already asked it. You're like, well, now I got to come up with something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question, though, um, Shelley, is uh, where if if people want to purchase your book, where can they where can they do that? So my website is iosaccessbook.com. You can buy the EPUB version of the book from me there directly. It's a PayPal portal, but you can use whatever payment method works for you. I also have a link to the Apple Bookstore if that is easier for you. As I say, Apple takes a little cut, but for some people that's just easier. 
Um, I'm also really excited to tell you that the uh, the nice folks over at the AT Guys website have just started carrying the book, so you can buy it from from uh, from atguys.com, and that's super cool to have another channel. And I'm I'll be coming out with the PDF version of the book that you can buy from both AT Guys and from me, uh, probably within the next week. And I'll tell you too that if you if you buy the book, any updates that I make between now and the time of the next version of iOS will be free. And then I'll I'll have to charge folks if they want to buy the iOS 13 version. But if I do, if there's a if Apple comes up with a iOS 12.3 or 12.4, and I need if there's enough in there info in there for me to do an update, then that's a free update for anybody who has the book. Excellent. All right. Well, I guess we've come to that point in the show where we do our contact info and our picks for the week. So, uh, don't start with me. I'm still thinking. <laughs> All right. Well, then, Jason, what is your pick for the week and where can people find you online? <laughs> it's like you can read her mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> My pick, my pick is actually going to be the Go piano that I was mentioning earlier, the A Lady enabled piano that Roland has produced. Um, and as far as where people can find me, you can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at jason at iAccessibility.net. You can follow me on Twitter at JDE91. That's Juliet Delta Echo 91. And you can also search for me on Facebook. Just search for Jason Earls. All right. Shelly, do you have a pick for us this week, and what, how can people find you online? You know, I, I neglected to come up with a pick. I was so busy looking at CES stuff. I was looking around my studio like mad, thinking, wait, what have I got in here recently that I really love? Oh, okay, here, here's a pick. This is just random. I got this for Christmas. Um, I got the uh, Anova Nano Sous Vide Maker. I am a, I also got an Instant Pot, so I've been cooking like a maniac since Christmas. Um, and the sous vide maker is fun. There is an app that is accessible. It has recipes. So, yeah, if you want to get into sous vide, do it. Uh, you can find me online at Twitter. S-H-E-L-L-Y is my personal account. Uh, the book also has an account, iOS Access Book, on Twitter. And let me plug my podcast, which is called Parallel. You can find that at relay.fm slash parallel. And that is Parallel Pods on Twitter. And one last time, the book website is iosaccessbook.com. Excellent. Okay, Aaliyah, how about you? Well, I think I'm going to pick a game. Shocker. I know. Shocker. Um, this one is... Minesweeper Deluxe. I have done a game cast on this, so if you guys would like to hear how it's played, go back and take a look. The app is uh, for iOS, and essentially it's a Minesweeper game that gets increasingly difficult over time as you complete levels. The first level is extremely easy, even easier than your standard Windows Minesweeper game, and it progresses up from there. So it's all completely voiceover accessible and works quite well. So uh, give it a shot. I don't remember what it was. I think that one might have been one ninety nine or ninety. I bought two apps at the same time, and one was ninety nine cents and one was one ninety nine. But it's very inexpensive. So go check it out. Anyway, you can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at Aaliyah, that's A-L-E-E-H-A, at iAccessibility.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at BlindCowGirl199. Yes, I know. Jaws says my name weird. I'm aware. 
but it's not Aliha. If you pronounce my H, bad things shall happen. I love how somebody yesterday at a meeting we were at said, thought you were saying age instead yes, of H. I said H. <laughs> Person, you know who you are if you're listening wow. to this show. <laughs> and she does. <laughs> yes. Do you, but do you, as I do, have English friends who say H, and that always stops Whoa. me. Like, <laughs> no. H. Wow. I think I've... I've, I've heard I that. I think I've heard one of our English thing. H. I don't know that. H I've heard and that. Z. Yes. Well, Z, Z definitely, definitely Z. The H surprises I, me. Heard... The Z not so much, but uh, yeah. Yeah, H surprises me too because, like, I, I think I've heard it in like uh, Australia as well as like the UK, and I, for whatever reason, was a little surprised on the UK front, but not so much on the Australia front, and I can't really explain why. Hmm. Like it's. It's just one of those things, I guess. I don't know. All right. So my pick this week is going to be, uh, I, I don't think I picked this one, and it's Audio Hijack. We've been using Audio Hijack for recording our podcasts, but one of the things that they now offer is streaming support built in. So we have our entire workflow going through Audio Hijack except for Team Talk. So that is a really nice addition to that software. I kind of wish there was a, a Windows solution that did everything that Audio Hijack would do. I know there's close with Total Recorder, and you have, but you'd have to use several other programs. But I think Audio Hijack really does have the best support for doing what we do. So that's my pick for this week. If you want to get in contact with me, you can. You could find me producing content for iAccessibility. If you want to find me online, I'm Mike Doeys on Twitter. On Facebook, just search for Michael Doeys. You can email me at mikedoeys at iAccessibility.net. That's M-I-K-E-D-O-I-S-E at iAccessibility.net. You could also find me at my webpage of michaeldoeys.com, and I'm on all kinds of social networks. So just do a Google search. I'm all over the place. All right. If you want to find iAccessibility, you can at iAccessibility.net. We are iAccessibility1 on Twitter. You can leave us feedback by emailing feedback at iAccessibility.net. You can find us in our apps. For iOS, look for iAccessibility. On Android, we are iAcast. And we have our official iAcast webpage at iAcast.net. And you could listen to all of these wonderful outtakes that we've had from this episode and once before on our Patreon at patreon.com slash IACast. One dollar a month as a patron will give you access to all of these wonderful outtakes. So any amount that you can pledge will help us produce these wonderful shows. So we are also on Tumblr. We're on uh, YouTube, all over the place. So just search for iAccessibility. All right. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Shelley Brisbane for coming on the show today and talking about her book. Uh, I think it's going to be a great success, and I'm sure that people are going to uh, find this book very helpful. So, thank you for having me, and uh, I, I hope uh, I hope it is a I hope people enjoy it, and it was a lot of fun hanging out with you guys. Well, we hope you come back. I hope we didn't scare you off with all of our antics. No, Jason did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you had blamed him, right? You're the one who turned it into that, Aaliyah. I had no You're the I just want to come back to hear joke. you guys bicker. That's that's what I'd want to do. 
It's like if y'all aren't bickering, I'm not. I'm not in. I'm not. Because I can tell this is not like a new thing for you kids. Oh no! No 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 no! See, Shelly, go to our Patreon and get all of our outtakes. Right. Well, let me put it like this: we. Aaliyah has Aaliyah has been here since episode thirty-seven. Jason earlier, and we're on episode one hundred and six of this show. So there's been a lot of bickering over the. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> Luckily, though, it's it's generally you know good. We all have fun. Of it's course, all but, yeah. Michael, yeah. do not natured, yes. do not pretend to be so highbrow, my friend. You have participated. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> But y'all have I feel like I, have I could just say, get you guys going, like I could, because you guys just take the bait and you just run. You don't want to have me back, because I'll, I've got your number. <laughs> well, we would but, like to thank you again for being on the show, and we want to. Thank it was my all, pleasure. We want to thank all of our listeners and everybody on the stream. So thank you guys so much for being here. It's been a wonderful show, and we will be back next week for episode one oh seven. That will be my 70th episode, or even 71st. Wow. That's nuts. I don't even know how many episodes that is for me, because I Too haven't many. been here for every single episode since, <laughs> probably. But I, <laughs> I don't even know what that was going to say anymore. <laughs> I mean, you you can go back in our archives and listen to episode one, Shelly, and hear me using a snowball <laughs> mic from Blue. That is now my guide dog's ah. favorite toy. Yes. All I have to do is basically just cut my hands over my mic, and there you go. Right. That's the my, right there. my first podcast ever was a little iTalk <laughs> mic on top of an iPad. It was eight bits of glory, I tell you. It was terrible. It was eight minutes long of me basically going, I don't know what to say. It's a podcast. <laughs> I actually did one, uh, one of our original episodes on an Apple Watch, and it sounded pretty good. Really? Yes. That's interesting. You... Just as like stunt podcasting, I like that. Well, it's when the watch Didn't you came use out. Just and I press wanted record. To... I yes, I used just press record, and I wanted yeah. to demo how the watch microphone sounded as a right. podcast episode. So, and where did you hold it in relation to your mouth? I don't remember. It, that was back in okay. 2015. So, <laughs> sorry, don't mean to make you it's go back and out with his long watch. ago times. <laughs> <laughs> You really well, wasn't assuming to. that, but you really didn't have to get that close. <laughs> well, it, it picked up really well. I mean, yeah. I get that these are supposed to be personal wearable devices, but you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and end this it's show just for proof today. That, Michael, you have a love for Apple products, even though you're using Windows. <laughs> Trader. Trader. Yes. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the IACast. Thank you guys for being here, and we'll be here next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Don't let Jason back. Copyright 2019, iAccessibility, LLC.